Welcome back to The Art of Volunteering. Our guest today is one of my dear friends, Anne Forcine. Anne has worked in the field of accounting for over 50 years in pharma, construction, and advertising. She retired from full-time work about a year ago uh, to give her the opportunity to do more traveling and volunteer work. Most of her weekends, you will find her spending time with friends, family, attending church, getting outside for a hike, kayak, or skiing. Welcome, Anne. Hi. And let's start. Last spring, you went on an amazing journey to Africa mm -hmm. as a volunteer to perform a financial controls audit for the Summer Institute of Linguistics, or SIL. Um, and I think you were an internal controls auditor. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about who or what SIL is and how you started your journey with them? Sure. About 10 years ago, I was put in touch with SIL or Wycliffe, and um, I didn't know that there were any kind of mission trips, or we call them mission trips, that would enable me to use accounting. And I found out that they have probably 25 to 30 trips a year all around the world that they need people to go in and just make sure their audit, their, their financial controls are in place. And as a nonprofit, it's really important to have that accountability for the money that is being poured into their agent, uh, their agency. So um, that's how I got connected with them. And I was just, um, blown away by the, the countries, different countries and continents that you could go to and, and that God was using um, my gifts in that way. Was I didn't have to go into a, a teaching environment or a construction environment to help with missions, but I could be in an office helping them stay on track with their budget. Why Africa? I've loved Africa. I've always loved Africa. I has been on my bucket list since I was really little. Um, I wanted to go to, to Kenya. Um, so I feel like every time I want to go somewhere, God provides a, play, a way for me to go. And uh, Africa was, it's like that continent that is still really um, unknown a lot. I mean, people are starting to go there more often, but the idea of being able to meet people that I probably would never have an opportunity to meet. Um, and the animals were just, I just wanted to see the animals in their natural habitat. And yeah, it was, it was a dream come true to be able to do it. Did you go alone? I did. Um, I was, um, when I, when I requested the trip, they said there was another young woman who just graduated from college and they, she had never been on an audit trip and I had been on one 10 years prior. And, uh, so we ended up meeting in Nairobi about two in the morning at our guest house. So I did travel alone. Um, I have really never been fearful of that because I just love airports. I love them. <laughs> I love the idea that you can walk up to any counter in an airport, put down your credit card and go anywhere in the world and follow people that were going anywhere in the world. It just fascinated me. Um, so I was not worried. Um, I feel like when you're on your own, uh, that is when you depend on God the most. And he comes through. Um, I had no, I, I just knew that at the end I had to meet somebody to pick me up from the airport at one in the morning in Nairobi. And um, yeah, so I met up with somebody else. I like working as a team with somebody else. That's awesome. Now, how many days did the uh, uh, 
the internal control audit take? It takes two weeks and there were two of us. So um, yeah, usually um, I had gone uh, 10 years prior and that was a three week audit. It can be a uh, low, it can be like a one week too. But um, this particular, we, we audited all of Africa's uh, internal controls, all their offices. So, and we were, we were given a script uh, on the, uh, like on Word to follow along so that there's consistency among all of the audits. So we, we didn't have to invent you know, what we were going to ask, the questions were all there and they had all been through the audit before. So it was fairly, um, it's fairly comprehensive, but it was, it was easy to jump in. Um, what did you do in your downtime? Well, there wasn't a whole lot of downtime. When we woke up in the morning, we went to breakfast and then we worked uh, until about five, we had dinner. Um, now in Nairobi, you can't really walk around on your own. So we had to have a, a a guide, not a guide, but more of a, uh, I don't know what you would call him, but he would take us if we wanted, if it was, now they are near the equator. So it was pretty much six to six was six in the morning. The, the sun would come up and six at night, it would go down. And even wow. in early May. So we would take walks. Um, and at night we would just, we would just hang out and read. Now on the weekends, we had a free time and we went to, there was a local safari park we went to. Um, there was a local market that one of the women took us to, um, a Maasai market, which is the Maasai's are the largest tribe in Kenya. And everybody who worked in the office belonged to a tribe, their family. So uh, we got to meet like when you would meet them, they would say, well, I'm from the so-and-so tribe. And they were all very educated. They all had MBAs. Um, they were all very smart. And um, they were all very super friendly, so friendly. So we went to church with them on the weekends and we were invited into their homes on Friday and Saturday and Sunday nights. So basically, we just got to spend a lot of time talking to Kenyan people, which was what I had wanted to do. Was there a language bearer? No. English is their, um, they speak English um, and then Swahili. I think English is their uh, main language. Most all of them know English and Swahili is like their second language or maybe the other way around, but no, not, they were so, wanted to know so much about America. They wanted to get our ideas on issues in America. They wanted to, um, they were so inquisitive. And um, like I said, we, we talked to a lot of, well, a couple pastors had been in other careers before. So there was one doctor, well, one had started as a doctor, became a CPA, worked for the world, um, health organization as a consultant and then started his own business. And he just had all these careers. So there were so, he was so um, inquisitive and wanted to know our take on so many different issues. So. Very cool. Now, when your uh, work was done, your, your, your two weeks there, did you get to go on vacation or did you come straight back to the States? Absolutely. We, I joined uh, and my friend who worked with me, she joined a different safari because she was 21 and wanted to be with the young people. And I wanted to be on a more 
a tour that was uh, a little more geared towards, I guess, people that wanted a tour guide. And so we went on a safari. And so I was a week in Kenya. Um, I'm all about the tour now. I used to be highly independent, wanted to do my own thing, but they they had everything kind of really mapped out for us as far as the hotels. So the, there was not really any security issues when we went to the different parks. Um, the tourism there is really growing uh, back because of the pandemic. So a couple places really greeted us with open arms. Uh, well, they all did. Um, when we walked up to the hotels, they had hot towels for us. They had uh, just homemade juices, squeezed juices, and they were so happy to have us. Um, and they said, please be ambassadors for Kenya and, you know, tell everybody that we're here and we're open and we're safe. And, um, so we, we saw so many animals we had, um, you know, just, we were in the game parks all the time from, we would go in game drives in the morning, game drives in the afternoon. Uh, and you got to meet a lot of people that were from varied backgrounds and why they wanted to travel. You could talk with them. And it was, it was wonderful. I, I everybody there had never been to Africa. Uh, and in, it's still kind of unusual to go. And so we were just amazed at how beautiful it was. And, um, how different it was yeah that's what we did and then I took a week and I went to Tanzania as well so I got to see Mount Kilimanjaro I got to see go to the Serengeti we got to see part of <clears throat> there is a wildebeest migration that happens every year in Africa people go uh, from about June to August where they literally they're in the Serengeti in Tanzania and it's the end of the rainy season that's starting to be more of a um, kind of a dry season and famine. The wildebeest from a couple hundred miles away can literally smell the fresh green grass in Masamari, which is in Kenya. And they travel, millions of wildebeest travel. And if you go there and you take a, a balloon ride, which I did, um, I didn't see the wildebeest quite like this. You can see them stretch for miles and miles and miles. Really? And all go to back to Masai Mari, hang out there for, I don't know, a couple months, and then they go back. And um, so that's really fascinating. The zebras go along with the wildebeest. They're buddies. <laughs> that's what we learned. <laughs> so, really uh, and we got to see... Um, like World Heritage Sites, there's something called the Gorongoro Crater. Um, and we, yeah, we got to stay in some tents that were semi-permanent tents, they were called. They were beautiful. Full bathrooms, beautiful beds with mosquito netting. And um, then we stayed in some hotels. And then we stayed in some lodges. So they had the full gamut. Um it's not rustic. It's not on the ground. A lot of people think that it's well, like I could never do that. And you were in Jeeps um, that had, they pop open and you can stand up there, hold on to bars, take pictures, have cameras and binoculars. and So it's very well run, the tourism over there. I bet you came home with lots of photos. Uh, like 3,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like 3,000. I pulled them down to 600, but... I have a lot. Yeah. And, and the, the 
tour guides, the drivers, they have to go to school, they have to go to the university and they take hospitality and they know the animals. They were like National Geographic experts. It was so educational. They know so much Um, and they have to be like counselors. You know, they get six people that don't know each other in a Jeep and everybody has different expectations. So they have to make sure everybody's happy. And so they did a great job. It was really fun. That's awesome. Now, uh, this was a missions trip. So did you have to raise your own funding for it? I did. I did because um, I, I raised, yes. To take the plane over, I had to pay for my plane flight. My lodging and food is paid for while I'm doing the trip. Okay. Um, and I stay in a guest house. It was uh, it was in a compound. All of the places in Nairobi, there are big, huge gates and uh, fencing around the property with guards. A lot of places have guards. And um, so we had a guest house in there that was really nice. And so then, um, yeah, and the, for people that are interested, your airline is deductible as a, a contribution tax-wise. Tax um, mm-hmm. Anything that you put out to be able to do the job uh, is tax-deductible. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Cool. All right, Anne, why do you volunteer? Hmm. Well, I feel as though I, I have this gift of accounting that I've you know, done all these years and I really wanted to see how I could use that in a different way that I feel like God is calling me to different places. And I wanted to do something that wasn't just for me, even though the second half was, um, I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and do work for an organization that I really believe in. Um, there are I'm trying to think of how many languages today, like 7,500 languages that do not have a Bible translation. And my organization uh, will do that. They raise funds to be able to translate the Bible into their language. And um, they used to say there's, they've partnered now with another big organization called Illumination. And they have said that from 2013, it was going to take 125 years to get every language in the whole world translated. But because they've been raising more money and because of technology, they've been able to move that timeline back to within 10 years. Every language in the world will have been translated um, and they will have a Bible. So um, that's That's their goal. Uh, They don't usually even have anything written. Sometimes they have to invent the the written language. I went to Papua New Guinea 10 years ago. They did not have written languages in the different tribes. And they have over 600 different languages that they speak on that island. So it's really blows your mind, like how, uh, how many people are in the world and how many languages. And once they get a Bible that, that is speaking to their heart, um, it's so much easier for them to understand about God. Yeah, so that's... I. I wanted to do something that I was passionate about. Yeah. Can you think of your experience with SIL over in Africa? Can you share a story of impact? Some Something that you saw during your time there that was really making a difference in the community. 
Well, um, I don't know if it was making a difference in community. It made a difference in um, our lives is when it comes to the weekend. And we had about 10 people we were working with in the office and my friend Catherine and I on Friday afternoon. And since she was a young 20 something, she's like, so what do you guys have going on this weekend? What are your plans? And they kind of looked at her like, well, on Saturday, we go to grocery shopping, we do our laundry, we clean our apartment. And then on Sunday, we go to church. And then we go over and visit with family and just hang out for the day. And And we're like, okay, do you do anything for fun? They said, no. In America, you guys are constantly being entertained and you have to entertain and you're so busy. We're like, well, I wish you would come and visit us. And they're like, no, you all have three jobs and you all are so busy. I'm like, well, not everybody has three jobs, but we are rather busy and they're very content and they're all like that. There's not, when you go to a foreign country, not maybe in Europe or whatever, they don't have all of the places that we have to be in America and have to do and what, you know, we have to be entertained on a Friday night and a Saturday night. So we really, it was awesome to just have our little suitcase and have our camera and just be very free to do whatever we wanted to do and not. So that was impactful for us to consider gratitude. Um, yeah. And um, I wanted to, there was some impactful things on the uh, on the actual tour uh, that we got to see with the Maasai's and uh, within the park, and they protect their their cows. And the lions were coming after them, and we saw, you know, the Maasai trying to go after the lion because he killed his cow. And so we were watching this, and it was really uh, it was really interesting to to see their back to the basics of defending their livestock and going after the lions and there were lions yeah yeah so I mean we we enjoyed seeing things that we'd only read about in books that we would never see in America so that was kind of impactful cool all right I think this next question is fun some people agree with me some people don't what think about something that didn't go as planned kind of like a blooper and what did you learn from it? What did the experience teach you? Well, I have an idea. Uh, I don't know if it's a big blooper, but my friend, her luggage, my luggage didn't come for two days. Um, her luggage didn't come for six days. And so their market for clothes over there is, uh, they have a, a huge uh, secondhand market is they love clothes that are made in Europe and in America, and they're made so much better than even in Kenya. So uh, most everything they wear is secondhand, but we we didn't realize that. We went, we had to get a few clothes. So we had to be driven to the market and she had to buy a few things, but she was used to coming out of, she'd worked for Ernest Young as a, uh, an auditor uh, as an internship and she understood, you know, you wear very professional, very conservative jackets and white, you know, white colored blouses. And, and here she's going into an audit and I'm like, no, we can just be, we can be a little more casual. And she's like, well, I only have one pair of pants and one top. So I had these pair of pajamas that were just Navy blue, like pull on, um, cotton pants and then, uh, gray, kind of a cotton top and they were pajamas 
And um, so I said, here, why don't you wear these? These look okay. You know, nobody will know the difference. And um, so she wore them for one or two days. And um, finally, she got her luggage on Saturday. It had been there on sun since Sunday. And we're like, this is amazing how little we need to live on. We could live on two blouses, pairs of pants. Why do we need a huge suitcase full of clothes? So when we uh, were getting ready to leave, we had a big lunch with the, with all the uh, people we worked with. And we told them that we had gotten her luggage. And she said, yeah, I had to I had to wear pajamas to work a couple of days. And I, I'm sure you didn't know. And they all looked around the table and started laughing. They go, yeah, we, we all knew. We all knew you were wearing pajamas to work. <laughs> Or like you did, and you never said anything that's awesome. They're like, yeah, we know what pajamas look like, and <laughs> they definitely weren't your work clothes. Okay, so we so just learned a big lesson about how little we need uh, to, you know, to work, and we have so much here. And um, so, I mean, I think it was those kinds of things, and you always had to go through checkpoints when when we were going anywhere and. They had to search the car and search her bags. and But, you know, you just we just kind of went with it. So there wasn't any really big bloopers, except this poor girl didn't have clothes for six days. But you learned something, how little that you actually uh, We need. kept saying that over and over again, how little we need to live. And uh, then when her suitcase showed up, it kind of burst on her bed. And she's like, yeah, I don't need this. I don't need this. Don't need this. <laughs> she has oh, so funny. many clothes. So many clothes. So she like donated those and just said, well, I don't need those. That's awesome. All right, Anne, we're at the point of our conversation where you can love, just love on um, S-I-L. Just why should people check them out? Why should they get involved? Why should they look at becoming an accountant or whatever their skill is and <laughs> going someplace around the world? Just love on them. Well, I think I did that a little bit before. Uh, I just love the idea that this organization is dedicated to getting the Bible in everyone's hands um, so that they can learn about Jesus. And uh, I love that. Um, I'm not an evangelist, so I, it's hard for me to go out and tell the world about um, Jesus in a way that so many other people can do. Um, and I'm not able to, I've worked in, down in Katrina when they had the floods and that was years ago when I was a little bit younger. I love the way I can just go. A lot of retired people do this. Um, it's, it's safe. Um, and I feel like I'm contributing something and they are so grateful, so grateful that we do this because they don't have to pay an outside firm to do it. And um, Wycliffe Bible Translators has a good name. A lot of people in the in the Christian community know about them, and they know about their work. So they they have a real their integrity is really intact. And um, yeah, and I know that they always have more trips. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say, but I, I really I really love them. They're that, that they is work. A lot. They're very organized when they do this. Um, you're not just thrown on a plane. Um, and, you know, the, and technology is so wonderful now. I mean, we can Zoom with people back home in Dallas, Texas is where their headquarters are. And you don't feel like you're just in the middle of nowhere anymore. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has a wireless connection. <laughs> so, 
So <laughs> it's a lot easier than it ever has been before. So if you have an accounting background, I did not have auditing. Uh, that did not make it um, difficult because they have it all planned out for you. And uh, once you've done it the first time, you can pretty much um, pick it up and do it. Yeah, so it was a, a wonderful experience. I cannot wait to do another one. I don't think maybe next year, we'll see. Okay. Well, Anne, thank you for being my guest oh, today oh. on The Art of Volunteering. Um, after hearing your story, I hope that my listeners will consider how they can impact the world with their their talents. Um, you know, accounting, uh, videography, uh, masonry. Like, there's so many skills that we do in our daily lives mm -hmm. that can make such an impact mm -hmm. in the states or around the world, and just not to be self-limiting. You know, who knew that accounting could be used in a missions type of environment? Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, my listeners. Thank you for being a part of today. Thank you, Anne. Oh, thank I, uh, you. I welcome you back for the next episode of The Art of Volunteering. Have a great day. Bye-bye.